This episode of The Wire Stripped is sponsored by our brilliant Hamsterdam patrons over at patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped. They are Marcy Mangum, Russell Mowat, Steve Taz, Paul Wallace, Where the fuck is Wallace? Patrick Birch, Morgan Tanji, Eric Weiss, and Richard Knoll. And I'm really sorry for butchering your names week after week, guys. One of the greatest scenes I've ever done in my career. And that's when Bunk meets Omar on the bench in season three. No more bodies. No more bodies. That's the scene I call it. And I talk about how we're from the same neighborhood and all. That scene defined all five years for me. Hey, everybody. I'm Kobe. And I'm Dave. And you are listening to The Wire Strips. We are the podcast that goes through each episode of The Wire one by one. That's right. And you don't just hear from us. You hear from the people that made The Wire and the people that love The Wire. And you guys, the listeners, you're in here as well. If you want to get in contact with us and voice your opinions on the show, you can email us. We are producers at thewirestrip.com or we are both on Instagram and Twitter at thewirestrip. That's right. Uh, so this week's episode is called Homecoming. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a great old chat about it about two and a half years ago. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and here it is. <laughs> when you walk through the garden... You gotta watch your back Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track When you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole Okay, guys. Yeah, we're still we're still at Amsterdam checking it out. It's getting fuller. It's thriving here. We're getting. We got a couple of spider bags I've here. Got some WMDs. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is the bomb. We shouldn't. <laughs> we should. We shouldn't be so passe about <laughs> no. horrific drug use. Yeah. Um, All right, we'll be honest. We're sitting in a in a beer garden, yes. sipping wa- sipping water, <laughs> diet coke <laughs> with ice and a slice of lemon. All right, no need to get too too detailed. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Take sorry. it back a notch. I like this episode. Um, Avon's back. We'll get to him, but let's talk political. Let's go political. Yeah, let's start off with. So we've got. Um, well, we're at, we're starting an event, don't we? We've mm. got um, Marla Daniels is uh, gearing up for for office. Yep. So she's got her buttoned up husband uh Cedric Cedric Daniels our our favorite lieutenant uh showing up to play the dutiful husband supporting her yeah. um which is which is lovely um in a way and well we get, no it's just lovely and we do get it is nice and yeah. we we'll, and, and we get it sort of a brief scene later on in the episode with uh, him and Rhonda mm. uh in bed and and you know she's clearly not happy with him having to support his wife in public and he he basically lays out you know um how she supported him exactly and and he let her down yeah you know uh, in a, yeah I mean, in a way or he didn't meet her expectations and he right, feels yeah. he owes her right yeah. uh, so it's just again it's just daniel's being an awesome dude right? <laughs> just daniel's being awesome yeah um as he as he stands uh with his top off in the moonlight <laughs> glistening like some sort of adonis the DP on the scene <laughs> yeah. just knew exactly what they wanted to do <laughs> yeah. grease up daniel's <laughs> and get him to be Getting to be a decent guy all greased up. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, Karkeri playing ball, um, literally. 
with Tony Gray. Yeah, so, and uh, this is where uh, Carcetti starts to sort of incept the idea into Tony's mind of a. Uh, Hey, you do, wonder, do you think somebody should run? <laughs> One of us should Royce? run for, for, for mayor, and I can't do it because I'm, hey, I'm white. Yeah. <laughs> so it should definitely be you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll back you 100%. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's just Judas in the making. It isn't is, it? isn't it? Like, he, you can see him like, licking his lips at the same time. He's hmm. good. Aiden, Aiden Gillen gives good, um, well, it's little finger, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just basically little finger moves. Aiden Gillen is fantastic in these kind of roles. Yeah. Um, and as we said in the previous episode, we can't tell, obviously we know in this scene what he's up to, but in the previous episode we couldn't really tell what his position was on certain topics, whether he actually feels them or whether he feels he needs to feel them, therefore that's how he represents himself. Yeah. Um, here we know exactly what he's doing, but we can tell Tony Gray hasn't got the foggiest... Well, that's the thing, right? Because yeah, he's so convincing. Mm. We the only reason we know his intentions is because we, as the audience, are seeing everything he's up to from every perspective. We're but Tony, to, Tony doesn't know. We're privy to the conversation which he has later on with with Teresa D'Agostino. Exactly, where he when, literally explains yeah. his his plan to her <laughs> while while twisting his mustache. <laughs> so without that, we probably wouldn't have that that incl- We wouldn't have uh, that insight to know exactly what he's playing at. No, Not and so, and so for, from Tony's perspective, and if either the Rose were in Tony's shoes, he'd just be like, oh, I've got the best friend in the world, yeah. best bud, I'm going to run for mayor, I'm going to be the best man yeah. ever! <laughs> David Simon, who I'd, at this point had met, you know, was saying, look, this, is, this, just, this just goes where it goes, and we don't know where that is yet. You know, and that will be determined by what happens in Baltimore. It'll be determined by your performance. It'll be determined by everything else that's going on with all the other characters, etc. The voice you're hearing now is Aidan Gillen, who plays Carchetti. I can remember having that conversation and the hair is literally standing up on the back of my neck. You know, his uh, political character is not fully formed yet and he's kind of idealistic but flawed and, you know, we'll have to see what, what happens. When you look at the mayors of Baltimore, for example. This is podcaster and academic Andrew Johnston, our Baltimore expert. Because this it's relevant to these two seasons, three and four. Um, a lot of them, there are way more than one who's the son of a former mayor of Baltimore. Like, like Nancy Pelosi's dad was the mayor of Baltimore. And then her brother was the mayor of Baltimore. <laughs> and now she's the speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States Congress. And you go like, oh yeah, none of those people are self-made. A quick tour to Bunk and a homicide. Um, Bunk has been fucking trying to chase down this this peanut character who's, who's shot Dozerman. Um, Get the, to get the weapon that was stolen. I mean, Bunk's doing some serious work here. And I love when he just, he drops the case file to Jay and basically says, I'm no more. Yeah. I've done all this. And now I'm, I'm a murder police and I'm going to do some murder policing. And Jay, I like, Jay's like, who has been genuinely hounding him this whole time, is like, looks at the thing and starts flicking through. It's a 10-page report, like, yeah. It's like, you did all this? It's <laughs> like, he's impressed. Yeah. So, and he, I think, to be fair, Jay just kind of gives a little nod, like he rec- recognizes Bunk's done his due, he's paid his due. He's tried. Really tried. Yeah, to the point where we even get a hilarious scene of him interviewing people in prison, which is just <laughs> some of the, I mean, some, the, the wire doesn't often get enough credit for the comedy. It doesn't, yeah. It's got a real, like, spot on comedic voice when it wants to. 
I think it's I think there's quality and it's that same it's that acknowledgement. I think for Jay at least it was at least I can show this to the bosses to show that he is trying. Yeah. Um I think Jay is that is that epitome of a middle middleman who doesn't want to doesn't want to rise because it's too much shit doesn't want to he's yeah. happy where he is he's happy there's a lot in life just wants to sit in his office reading his you, porno you re- fucking hell <laughs> <laughs> it was proper like he 14 year old it. kid wasn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh look at ooh, mm. yeah, turn the page oh hello boobies um, and also I think part of it was that yeah Bunk Bunk interrupted his uh, pre-wanking session um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he does I don't, no, I don't think he does wank <laughs> I think he just likes to, he reads it. Just reads it. Yeah. (sighs) To be enlightened. He studies it. So after that, Bunk's got, you know, Bunk's got the go-ahead from Jay to actually do his job again. Yeah. And Bunk's on the case now with the Tasha murder. I got witnesses on the scene that says she was there right in the middle of a drug robbery. Boy by the name of Omar was in on it too. Nobody's saying Tasha was an angel. Nobody's saying that. But what are they saying? The crew Tasha was running with, maybe they didn't throw the shot that killed her. But if they don't come to me early and tell the true story, I guarantee they won't breathe a free breath until them cicadas come back. Y'all get the word to the right people. So he goes for family, mm-hmm. and he lays down some hard truths, I think. Was, I thought that was interesting. He's, you know, he says to them... Let's be honest, she was no angel. She was definitely involved in it. Um, You know, and we see a lot of Bunk. Bunk really shines in this episode, I think. And we, you know, Bunk lays some truths down. Bunk always shines. But in particular, we see him like, you know, we talked in the last episode about how stats and data and number is not an effective way to police. But Bunk is really the epitome of like, he's on the ground, he's talking to these people. Yeah. And he's trying to get information and he's, you know, and he and later we'll get to the, the Omar scene. But he says, basically lays out how it's supposed to be and how it should be and how things have changed. In um, his mind, he's got two murder cases to try and solve. Yeah. And that's what's pissing him off. Uh, so it's great to see him like stand up to it. And if he's got to write a 10 page report to get him off that stupid wild goose chase, then so be it. So I can go and be a proper murder police again. Um, but let's talk about that that chat with omar yeah this is a cracking scene isn't it it is i think it's one of the scenes that a lot of people who watch the why multiple times pick out as like a, a standout scene if you're not here to cooperate then why are you here okay i could just pull up that other girl from your squad she ain't gonna talk to you hmm. ain't nobody gonna talk to you i just came in to make that clear man ain't no thing because I already got me an eyeball wit. You do? Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. Old Bruiser, he be blind behind that fortified half the time. She you got to dry him out just to get him on the stand. Besides, he done had a change of heart to that story. That's what I heard anyway. She passed that. Y'all gonna have to call this one of them, um, cost of doing business things y'all police be talking about all the time. You feel me? No taxpayers. Shoot the way y'all looking on things. Ain't no victim to even speak on. Bullshit, boy. No victim? I just came from Tasha's people, remember? All this death, you don't think that ripples out? You don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about. I think ever since we go back to the, the, the first series where he's he's setting up Bird 
This is the voice of Andy Brassel, who is one of the hosts of the Football Ramble and on the Continent podcast, and is a huge fan of The Wire. Um, with his with his court appearance, which is you know one of the most memorable scenes any, anywhere in The Wire, um, you, you know he, he he talks in in the box, doesn't he? When he's talking to to on the stand, sorry, when he's on the stand talking to Levy, he says about how he he never put his gun on no citizen, and um, that that kind of marks out for anyone who's in doubt what Omar's moral code is, and that clash with. Um, with Levy on the stand sort of sets him up as, I don't know if moral arbiters may be overcooking it a bit, but certainly someone who knows their own mind, knows their principles. And as he says, you know, I'll, you know, I've, I've never, I've never killed or hurt anyone that's not in the game. If they're in the game, that's different, but uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going after innocent bystanders, but you're, you're right. When you do see those, those kids mimicking him and that's not the first time that happens in 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 the wire either that's the point where you realize oh yeah actually you know he is quite a a sort of faux glamorous figure and his his actions do have effect we had us a community nobody no victim who didn't matter and now all we got is bodies and predatory motherfuckers like you and out where that girl fell, I saw kids acting like Omar, calling you by name, glorifying your ass. It makes me sick, motherfucker, how far we done fell. Wendell Pierce and Michael K. Williams are just Brilliant. on the top of their game Brilliant. here. And even Michael K. Williams is doing next to nothing in this scene, and he's just this powerful presence, isn't he? Yeah. He's pretty much just looking straight ahead. Yeah, yeah. He's not even look, yeah, he's not looking bunk in the face. Um, and it, I love the way it just brings it brings it back to we went to the same school we're from the same place yeah like we don't need to do this um, so so powerful and he kind of he lays out like he was you know his father we get we get a real insight into Bunk's backstory mm. here you know his father put him on the the straight and true um, but you know he wanted to be a tough guy hanging out of the I liked how Bunk describes it in the most like dad kind of way, doesn't he? <laughs> he's like, he's like, I want to be a tough guy. I hang out with all the t- tough kids, um, and he says that they basically said, "You don't belong here, Bookworm," and he credits them with yeah. saving him. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that's it, you can see that in some people. You see it in both ways. You see people you turn to play, to play rugby, and you think, "Dude." I love you, but that's not for you. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? Am I, am I off the team? You're not, you're not a prop, Dave. You're not a prop. You're not a front row. You're not a front row. Um, but on the other side, they, the, the guys in the game saw, saw Bunk and said, dude, even though we love you, but it's not. this is not for you. Yeah, this isn't for you. Yeah. And, but, and he highlights how that's not happening now. And... Omar and people like him who are dropping bodies and this ruthless energy is creating a negative in influence and role models on on the community. Yeah, like yeah. He, he references the, the kids who were, you know, playing shootout and saying, seeing him as a legend or an icon. That's probably one of the reasons I think the bunk really wants to get this, um, get rid of this gun goose chase and get back on the case. I think he really wants, he just saw those kids playing pew, pew, pew in the same way we... Same way we used to play guns and robbers, cops and robbers and stuff when we were kids. Yeah. These kids are playing I Want to Be Omar and that's not 
that's not a role model to follow. Yeah, it's, it's as tra- much as we love Ro- Omar. It's tragic, yeah. and and like Bunk is seeing a community in which he grew up in change uh, and evolve, and not in a way that he likes. No. The other scene was David holding information from me, or actors. Uh, didn't mean that actors didn't complain. So I was sitting on the set one day, and I'm like, man, I am tired of this shit. This is Wendell Pierce. He plays the bunk. Uh, I'm tired of this. Every episode, I'm chasing a gun. I'm chasing a gun. I don't understand why I'm chasing this gun. Man, I don't have anything to do with no scenes with people. It's not making any sense. Every I'm just on a wild goose chase. It's not going anywhere. It's stupid. And I've done all this research. I've met so many black cops who become cops because this is not the crime does not reflect the good people in the neighborhood. And that's the way it was. And my girlfriend's father was talking about how even during segregation time, when he was coming up, you know, man, even the thugs knew their place in community because he was called schoolboy, And, you know, if he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be, they say, uh, 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 we're not going to go to school, but we know you are get out of here. Cause we knew you were going to become something. Uh-huh. And that's all, that's the sort of shit that I want to get in here. And I'm trying to, and I get a tap on my shoulder as I'm bitching and complaining, sitting in my chair. George Pelicano said, uh, Wendell, you're chasing the gun because it's going to lead you to Omar. And I went, oh, my God. And then he said, the very thing you're talking about is what I'm writing in the script. Can I take some elements of that? I'm like, absolutely. And then... He wrote uh, one of the greatest scenes. I actually get choked up about this because I love Michael so much. Uh, one of the greatest scenes I've ever done in my career. And that's when Bunk meets Omar on the bench in season three. No more bodies. No more bodies. That's the scene I call it. And I talk about how we're from the same neighborhood and all. That scene defined all five years for me. So talking about the bodies falling brings us back to the Barksdale guys and Avon is firmly back in the kingpin seat, back on the throne and kind of enjoys the money but also doesn't like the way things have been running without him. Yeah, I love... We, we get a little bit of Avon out of his element here, yes. don't we? He won't, he won't wear the hard hat. <laughs> I love, well, it's, it's kind of a lovely little metaphor, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. Like, he literally won't wear that hat. I, I loved how this worked, because he just came out, they were stringing like, oh, we got the wrong steel, and now steel's like twice the price, and Avon just chews them out saying, well, that's not our problem, is it? You guys are... Did a, you you did you didn't do your job properly? So you need to pay up. And he's so it. right though. He is. He? Yeah. I loved how I loved this the sort of simplistic attitude he he brought to that. Yeah, like he refused to play there. That's how it game. should be. That's, yeah. that's how it should be. But uh, String is now indo- indoctrinated into this world, and he's like, oh, that's not how the game works anymore. Uh, I, this whole episode with, with Stringer trying, tr- just trying to get a, a, yeah. an apartment, some condos built, is like such a, again, a brilliant insight into the messed up world of red tape and admin that, that happens in a, in a functioning city. It's just depressing. It's like you need to go and speak to Clay Davis again. Yeah, uh-huh. and then Clay Davis is like, oh, I've got to take my extra five on top. The, the best thing about Clay Davis was how he... He told String. He exasperatedly says to String, "How crooked this organ, this, these new guys are down the hall. They're bloody crooks, taking twenty k as he takes his five k. It's just like glorious. Clay Davis is such a such a brilliant hero. Twenty five thousand. You don't need more than that to get it done. What the fuck you say? I'm just telling you how they do down at zoning and permits. 
They know you got a general contractor and there's people out there sitting on their ass. They know you paying twice that every week they sit. 25 gets me the permits? Mm-mm. 20 gets you the permits. Five is for me for bribing these downtown motherfuckers. I mean, I'm the one got the risk walking up to these thieving bitches with cash in hand, right? I'm telling you, Strang, the people running the city nowadays, they make the last bunch look sanctified. I mean, this is some shameful shit. It was refreshing to match, kind of like match wits. She... Here's our chat with the man behind the catchphrase, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., better known as Senator Clay Davis. You know, you've got the street coming up against uh, the politician who knows and is aware of of the street. Uh, And that was a real nice uh, dynamic to play. because it was, uh, we were both sort of like in our elements going at one another, but there was a huge difference between the two of us. And what do you make of the Avon just not wanting to accept the new order that Stringer's laid out? It's just not for him. He's not, he's not, he's not a businessman. Yeah. And it's like the epigraph says, he's, he's just a gangster. Just a gangster. And that's, that's a beautiful, beautiful. And that scene with the two of them which is like it's Shakespearean isn't mm. it the the two of them sharing the drink as they you know they drift further and further apart um Avon just wants his corners and that's going to and that's that's a surefire way to trouble and as we see later on in this episode that leads to the death of of a young kid on the corner um well more than one it leads to multiple deaths it's several several of the Barksdale crew gone die. yeah yeah um because Avon wants to run the roost the way he's used to and that's that's what's caught that's what's feeding his his stomach his soul and the kind of blood that's running through his veins yeah but ultimately that's what drops the bodies and that's just that's that reverting back to type is uh it's, it's it is depressing he says we don't buy corners we take them yeah yeah um it is it is depressing but that's you know that's who he is mm. and avon is very clear-minded and and you know he knows who he is and what he wants and he's not really it's clear he's not interested in money because string keeps saying we are making more money with the clean money yeah. than we ever could down in the streets but he's not he's not, not interested not he just wants his corners one of the key conflicts in season three is the ideological split between stringer and avon between capitalism and militarism, respectively. This is podcaster and wire expert, Joe Kiley. Both are obsessed with real estate, but disagree on where the value lies and how to obtain it, by money or by might. Avon vows never again to return to prison, but his ego and adherence to the rules of the game pose an existential threat, both to his own freedom and to the financial freedom Stringer has brokered with Prop Joe and the co-op. Conversely, Stringer's insistence on business above all else may seem like a smart strategy, but it lulls him into thinking the rules don't apply to him. He broke the rules when he assassinated D'Angelo. He broke the Sunday truce and incurred the wrath of Omar. He crossed brother Muzon. And he broke his own rules of order when he lashed out at Poot. Poot did have the floor. You can blame Avon for bringing the heat on Stringer, but even if Avon had remained in prison, the seeds of Stringer's undoing had already been sown. 
and and it's interesting because you can see the frustrations for both of them, right? That they, they they're partners. Yeah, they're, they're, they're loggerheads together, aren't they? Yeah, and there's no there's no easy solution to that. You can see Stringer's frustration. And you can well, it's harder to identify with yeah. a man who's trying to murder people on well, corners. But, well, but like, you can see what it's like, dude. You've just you've just literally come out of jail. Let's like <laughs> keep it legit. And everyone's like, hey, I want my corners. Why don't you understand this? I I want corners. I want them. Yeah, let's take them. <laughs> um, so we get a drug war, don't we? We get a drug war starting up again, led by Slim Charles and Cutty. Um, they go. Those guys kind of. They take they take point. They do it really well. They know they've been there. They've done that. And these you know these other ididiots. That's a great scene. Yeah, that's like a hi- it's like a, the moment before a heist. It is. It? They, they, they got their, their A4 pad. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here. These X's and me. Wait for the call. Wait for the call. <laughs> so important. Once more. Wait for the call. You always wait for the call. Um, and they didn't wait for the call, which is dumb. It's such a it's such a sort of slap your forehead moment, isn't it? It is. Yeah. They feel they're going to lose out on all the glory. Yeah, it's just a really frustrating moment, though, as a viewer, because you're just like, you just know, just like, what are you doing, yeah. dude? You're the fucking driver. Wait for the call. <laughs> and so, in, you know, in a way, to be harsh, like, he, he got what he deserved, but, he you know, he brought um, sort of the other as dude a with him. And the, yeah. all, uh, all as a result of Avon. Um one of his corners and we see it escalates again well not escalate it goes to another another uh, shootout Cutty and Slim Charles have fruits in their sights well Cutty does anyway uh, fruits on the floor Mar- um, Cutty can take him out he has a clean shot and at that point he just realises that it's not it's not part of him anymore and he, and he also has reason to do so like he don't remember fruit fucked him over a few yeah. episodes ago um, but yeah I th- it's a it's a brilliant moment, isn't it? And then the scene after that where Cuddy... You know, I, I loved how Slim Charles stood up for Cuddy. Yeah. You know, he, t- he took the blame. Like, Slim, Slim's like a cool was, guy, yeah. isn't he? Like, he's, they're, they're a tight unit. And the, them, they're kind of old school, Slim and um, Cuddy, and they work well together. And you see them as this quite efficient unit. And it was really interesting seeing the insight into soldiering and how much thought goes into it. Yes. And, like, yeah. you drive up this way so you don't shoot your driver. But Slim tries to say it was his fault, and Cuddy's like, no. It's like, and Cuddy could have just let, let him it believe it. Yeah. But Cuddy, like you said, has in that moment decided the it's game's not, not in me anymore um, and it's I think this is such a beautiful scene um, when Cuddy says that and in, a, in in another you know in a more traditional gangster movie you might Barksdale might have played that as sort of you know take him out yeah. or something and nobody gets out of the game and all the, you're never really out and all this kind of stuff but I really appreciated that Avon give him a hug and then he says, uh, and then well, Slim Charles says something like, "He was a great man." I'm butchering the dialogue because I can't do it like they can. But and and he says he is a great man, you know. Yeah, and and it's just this lovely sort of send off for Cutty, isn't it? They literally know, send send him off. You know, with, there's no animosity good, there, and yeah. and that's great. And that's you know that's one of Avon's strengths. Avon runs is good at running an organization that rewards loyalty mm. and punishes, you know, bad behavior like we saw in the last episode with um you know the two dudes getting high in his organization. He's like get him out of yeah. here. Like he's like he's all about the people and string is all about the numbers. And we see that we're seeing a similar thing in the way the police unit is run. Like the the parallels 
run through it every organization we see in the wire. Yeah, absolutely. You see the two niggas right there? They over here getting high in the middle of all of this. Now where the fucking discipline at, yo? Fuck, toss them niggas. I know that there's been plenty of praise for him, but for me, the Cutty story arc is one of the best. And the best bit about it for me is when he is redeemed in the eyes of Avon. You know, you've got Slim Charles covering for him and saying, oh, you know, it was my fault that we missed those guys. It was my fault. I, I, I shot too early. And um, Cutty just steps up and says, it's me. The game ain't in me no more, man. And Avon gets it. Right, thank you very much for that burner message. If you want to leave a burner message, you can send us a voice note to producers at thewirestripped.com or if you head to our social channels at thewirestripped, you'll see our burner phone number there in the bio and you can just send like a WhatsApp voice memo to that number. This week, uh, we still want to know what is your favourite scene from season three? Your favourite scene from season three? Before we go back to the show, I'd just like to remind you we have a Patreon account. We can... You can find us at patreon.com forward slash the wire strip. That's patreon.com forward slash the wire strip. Uh, or just go to patreon.com and type in the wire strip into the search field. That's right. And uh, then we've got a number of tiers there. Uh, and uh, you can get all sorts of rewards. You can uh, get early access to the episodes a uh, mm-hmm. week before they're released. You can hear our full length interviews with the cast and crew. Uh, and you can submit questions uh, for future interviews that we will be doing. And of course, you forgot today to get priority burner access. So if you leave a message on our burner, then you get shunted to the front of the queue. That's right. That <laughs> sounds quite, <laughs> sounds like quite, you get shoved right up there. Yeah. Um, and uh, 100% of all the money that we earn on the Patreon, we are 100%. giving... 100%. Uh, 100% is going to the Ella Thompson Fund. It's a, a, a charity that is supported by the cast and crew of The Wire in Baltimore. Yeah, we're really happy to be able to support them. The Ella Thompson Fund provides recreational opportunities to kids in lots of Baltimore's kind of underserved areas, and we are super happy to be able to support those guys and, you know, make them happier. Before we get on with the show, just want to do a big shout out to our new patrons who have joined us at patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped, who have joined us at the co-op level. And they are, uh, apologies in advance, guys, if I'm butchering your names here, but I'll do my best. Uh, Anuj Pandey, Jake Monaghan, Donald Adia and Fro, just Fro. Uh, some sort of street name potentially it's got an exclamation mark in there it's pretty cool uh, so thanks to all of you for joining uh, and if you'd like to join them in their ranks in the co-op or one of the many levels you can join go to patreon.com forward slash the wire stripped so go back to Amsterdam um, it's starting to it's really kicking off it's really jumping yeah it's working isn't it it's <laughs> thriving it's like a thriving little drug city a little, little, a little metropolis if that's such a thing can you have that that's a bit of an oxymoron but um, <laughs> a tiny tropolis a tiny tropolis yeah. um, it's all kicking off and it's all working well but this is where Bunny spots that there is actually in his paradise there's someone who is suffering and that's where we have a, we have a resident an older lady who is struggling with her, with her, with her shopping cart 
trying to get into and out of a property. And Such a just, sweetheart, isn't she? she? You just realises, oh, fuck, we haven't done our research properly. There's this one lady who's been here and he has that chat with her. Legitimately tries to help her out and says, here's a, here's a new location, here's a new place for you. It's all paid for. It's a good neighbourhood, close to your church. But because she's lived there since she was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper. It's her house. She bought it with her husband. Like, yeah. You can totally see her point of view. Yeah. It's uh, sad. And she, she rightly says, why can't you deal? We need to sort out the trouble that's out there. Yeah. Um, which in any other situation would be like, yeah, we'll sort out the drug people. But Bunny's obviously got his tactics and his ways and measures that he's trying to, trying to prove that will work. And, it, and it's hard for Bunny because... This, you know, this exact thing was one of the motivating factors for this, for why Bunnies do, does this, because mm. we had him in the um, the community meeting a few episodes ago, yeah. hearing this exact thing from the community. Yeah, people you know, hiding under the beds. Hiding under the beds, they're on my doorstep, yeah. and he did all this to, to move them away. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a genius move, but the, he moved them away from one community and into this woman's yard, so it's it's... It's a real horrible catch twenty two, but yeah, he does it makes a magnificent effort to try and solve it, but yeah. it's not that easy. No, like everything in the wires. So the major crimes unit, Manilty and Greggs are still following the trail of Stringer by following the trail of uh, D'Angelo's death, and uh, takes into Annapolis to the state attorney there to try and to try and reopen the case, and they're not interested. Um, yeah, I liked her, I liked what she uh, her line here was basically we here in this county we don't lean into the punches we yeah. actually try to avoid a few of them. <laughs> so it just seems it's the same everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Yeah. It's just it's like, depressing, oh, no, isn't it's it? Same. They don't try this. Just like protecting themselves. Rather than hu- I guess it's human nature, isn't it? It is. Okay. Yeah, right, yeah. and you become desensitized and institutionalized, and you you know the people like McNulty and Kima who are doggedly trying to change things are few and far between um as part of this kind of uh, story trail again it's, it's good to have Kima, i like i like minulty and uh, and Kima together um, yeah. but they're trying to <laughs> they're trying to reopen the stringer side of the case and bring it to daniels there's some more bodies on the streets which we saw we saw we saw the deaths as a result of um avon coming back greg's and McNulty have seen Stringer talking to Marlowe and they think that's a cause enough, enough to open the case and Daniels chews them out 100%. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, because, you know, they're, they're annoying him or yeah. they're being persistent. Yes. And it's, it's almost like, yeah, Kima and McNulty are great together, but she's learning all of his worst habits, isn't she? <laughs> right? Like he, she is a proto-McNulty, absolutely. It's not, and it's they're not, said, and they're said not that good for her career. Previous episodes, haven't they? Yeah, what well, Lester says to her, he raised you from a pup. <laughs> the full turn into McNulty is uh, some, something that's equally sort of disappointing and, uh, and amusing. Um, what I, I think is, is amazing is how her, her, her boredom sort of turns her into to, to McNulty. And it's, it's really well done because it's something you never see coming and it does make you think a bit more about McNulty actually like you know at one point he must have been a happily married man it must have started somewhere and is is this how it goes and what is the end point for Kima I suppose it's every one of us have good bad and ugly and beautiful inside of us we were joined across the airwaves by Melanie Nichols King who is Cheryl in the wire 
most of us are just doing the best that we can. And no matter, you know, no matter where we come, come from and what choices we make. And I think the wire just really, it didn't give people an easy out to be like, oh, well, that's a horrible person. And oh, that's a good person. No, because the minute you think that this person is good, then they do something that's totally messed up. Or the minute you think this person is horrible, then they do something that where they show their humanity. You know, and so I think it just like broke open this whole idea that that television has to just entertain, that it can actually um, be teachable moments. It can actually you can actually see yourself and feel um, that heartache and and decide to make a different choice. You can kind of see Daniels's point of view. I think he was, you know, from his point of view, he's kind of right to chew them out. They're not playing ball yeah tell Williamson is the target he's clearly stated the case that's what they're doing and he's still it's just they're just distracted and not doing what they're supposed to be doing so as yeah. as a ranking officer which he does ask what's my rank uh, lieutenant he's scary yeah Lance brilliant. Reddick is scary when he wants to be absolutely brilliant um, but the, the frustrating thing is that they're also right because you know they've got enough clues to this unravel that a bit like they're right they're onto it as we see, Stringer's no longer he is the bank, but also he's still got a hand in yeah. the in the in the in the dregs a bit, hasn't he? Um He's like the he's like playing Monopoly. And also we're still you know, it's still clear to us that well, it's clear to anyone who has like eyes that Gansler <laughs> didn't die as a result of a suicide. So yeah, we've spoken about that. <laughs> so it's mad. That's still part of the trail that they're following. Um I thought it was interesting. There was an interesting offhand comment from McNulty in that in that scene with the um, the county police, in which he said, basically, uh, we've we've a, law- a lawyer will the, the sorry the um, the coroner will will back us up if we think we've got strong enough evidence. So I think it's like interesting that a coroner's evidence could be kind of steered either, either way, way. Yeah. Uh, depending on if you've got more evidence. For my benefits, yeah. I'm going to make it go this way. Uh, we got. In the previous episode, we didn't talk about it, I don't think so much, but we had um, Bubbles and Kima getting back together. And this time we have a bit more screen time with Bubbles and Kima. Another great duo. Yeah, um, a fantastic duo. Um, This is, we talked previously in the last episode about Bubbles not being happy about, well, so Bubbles being happy being a snitch and not wanting to go back down the scam route. Um, When Kima gives him some money, he says, put it away. I want, to st- I want to start my, my business, which that, is... That broke my heart. The first appearance of Bubbles' is, um, trolley shop. Yeah. <laughs> selling, <laughs> selling white T-shirts. And he seems so happy Whitey with it. Whitey sale. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, <laughs> he's the happiest person selling these white T-shirts. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. And he gives, you know, gives Kima and, and McNulty a, a little bag full of T-shirts for, for whatever purpose, I don't know. Bubbles, Bubbles, though, is like a stone-cold entrepreneur. Yeah. And a brilliant negotiator. We Absolutely. see him with Kima, like he negotiates his fee up like 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Because at first it was like £5 up to 40 in the previous episode, and I used that to, as a down payment for a loan for a trolley. <laughs> he's, using, he's, a guy, he's using her as a bank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for a trolley. <laughs> in their own weird way. Like, like, everybody was brought their own personalities to the show, you know, and so you could let them kind of flex that personality with the clothes they wear and character or however. But me and Andre, we got stuck with like, you know, the dregs of fashion. Um, and, but the crazy thing is Andre could still like, 
kick it to girls and stuff. Like he had no problem, just like, hey, what up, honey? And they'd be like, oh, like they they loved him. Like they they could see right past the clothes. That's it for this week. Next week we're going to be back for season three, episode seven. It's called Backburners. Yeah, Backburners. And in between then and now, guys, if you want to get in contact with us, please do. We love hearing from you. You can email us. We are producers at thewirestrip.com or find us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at thewirestript. That's right. As always, a huge thank you to Martin and Sam from the Song by Song podcast who wrote the awesome cover of Way Down in the Hole that is our show's theme music. Thank you to Simon Devro, uh, a.k.a. Dev's Noodles on Instagram for the artwork for this season. Thank you to the one and only Obi Joshua, amazing production support and research and yeah. the absolute uh, linchpin of getting these interviews out. Uh, thank you very much to Ben Williams for his pro- <laughs> for his production support and editing. <laughs> and thank you. Sorry, we're just laughing through the crowd. We're not laughing at your production support and editing, Ben. We are just laughing at the fact that it's the middle of the night and we're recording this and we are haven't slept in years because we're parents. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, someone else who's a parent is Tom Wally, series producer, editor, and parent extraordinaire. Yes. He he hasn't slept in years either. No, no. Thank it's, you very much, Tom. It's a miracle this show is here at all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, guys. Please uh, join us next week for Backburners, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production.